Welcome to For the Love of Dharma. I'm so happy you're here. My name is Heather Love, and I'm one of the first certified Dharma coaches in the world. This podcast will help you be more joyful, remember your purpose, and live life on your terms. Get ready to get inspired. Here we go. Hi, friends. I hope you're doing well. This time of year brings up all kinds of emotions for people. So whether you love this season or you hate it, just know that I'm thinking about you and sending you so much love. I really do get to introduce you to some of the most inspiring people I've ever met. So I'm really glad you're joining me for this conversation today. I had the privilege of sitting down and talking with Matthew Reynolds. He was a teacher in secondary education for 15 years where he earned various prestigious awards for the way he was able to reach minds and change hearts. He has over 35 years of experience as a performer and instructor in the theater arts and dance. Matthew also helped create the Crater Renaissance Academy of Arts and Sciences in Southern Oregon. He now finds himself advocating for equity and has recently released a book that we'll talk about during the episode. We'll also discuss leading with humanity, the importance of community, and what it means to have a sense of true belonging. It's a really beautiful conversation about shedding the expectation of who and how you are supposed to be so that you can step into authenticity. Matthew will talk us through what an equity lens is, as well as share his 22nd iteration of his own equity lens so that you can get an idea of how they are crafted. It was a really eye-opening conversation, and I can't wait for you to listen. So without further ado, let's welcome Matthew to the show. Hi, Matthew. Welcome to the show. Hello, hello, Heather, and thank you so much for having me on your show. This is this is great. I'm so excited to talk to you, and you are in one of my favorite places in the world, in Hawaii, so I am slightly jealous, but I'm also excited. <laughs> <laughs> no reason to be jealous. It will happen someday, let it, me tell you. <laughs> absolutely. I believe that with my whole heart. So the way I like to start my guest episodes is I'm going to have you choose either blue or red. And I have a blue book and a red book. And I will ask you a random question from whichever book you choose. All right. This is really difficult because my favorite color is purple and red and blue make purple. So I'm like, <laughs> oh, wow. Um, since I'm wearing blue this morning, let's go with blue. All right. Would you say you prefer a lavish or a modest lifestyle? As the person, because you can see everything in my background here, um, it's more of a modest lifestyle. I like to travel, though. So if I'm going to save money for anything, it's more going to be for being able to visit a new country that I haven't been to before than it is to save money to buy something specific just for myself kind of thing. And usually I invite a friend to go traveling with me as well. And and if I've got it, I'll sweeten the deal a little by paying for half of their plane ticket or something. So that's oh. my that's my lavish. You're you're a good friend to have. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Heather. <laughs> I I have I always say I have expensive taste, but I need to live modestly. <laughs> so gotcha. One of those things. All right. So I would love for you to tell my listeners a little bit about what was Matthew like as a child? What did you do for fun? What was your personality like? 
Oh, this is a very interesting question. I'm the fourth of six. My mother was Irish, German, and Swedish. My father was African-American. He was the second generation out of slavery. I go a little bit deeper into this in my book, Biggest, Fullest, Brightest, Shifting the Consciousness of Humanity. And so what I'm sharing with you is that I did my best to allow myself, my light to shine through laughter. So I made everybody else laugh. Now, my father was physically and emotionally abusive. Um, and I was out of us six kids, I was the one he took most of it out on. I also lived in a small town in North Central Minnesota. So there was a lot of name calling that happened, a lot of physical fighting that I did. But I always seemed to try to make everybody laugh. And I realized this at about the age of three. And I tell this story in my book about how my oldest sister, she's the eldest of us all, had some friends over. Knock, knock, knock on wood. It was the disco song. I'm sure those of you who are of an era will recognize that tune. It'll probably pop into your head. And she had some friends over and I put on her rainbow leg warmers. And of course, they came all the way up to like my armpits. And I started dancing around and everybody started laughing. And that's when I realized, oh, I can make people laugh. So I utilized it as a shield for a number of years. So I was shielding a lot as a child, trying to not get sucked into the things that were being indoctrinated into my system that my cognitive brain couldn't handle at that time, that the person who was supposed to be unconditional loving me, et cetera, et cetera, was really abusive. And then the friends, I have air quotes going on, the friends that I have one day would call me some kind of racial slur. And then the next day they'd want me to deliver a note to the person who they thought was cute or whatever kind of thing. So it was really confusing and just this tumultuous time growing up in, in North Central Minnesota. And then when I got to university, it started to unwind a little bit, just a little bit. Um, I started out as an aeronautical engineer and a mathematician, but then I took my uh, my first theater class in the spring and you know, was off and running. I became a multimedia performance artist and that was where the laughter and everything's continued in my life, but I saw more clearly where it was coming from. And so that started to infuse my art as well. So that's the kind of childhood I would say I had. And my childhood for me goes up until about 25, 26, when I really started to like settle into more of who I am and what my purpose is here in this lifetime. Mm, thank you for sharing that with us. Do you think you always wanted to be a performer? And so I know you said you could make people laugh. Like, was that something you knew you wanted to do when you grew up? Uh, so here's once again, Heather, you're asking great questions. Thank you. What it was is that I listened to society and this is part of what my book is about and part of what I bring to the world and the work that I do and the offering that I have of crafting your equity lens. When I was younger, I really started listening to other people. My oldest brother, he was in the Air Force. And so I was like, oh, and I was super good at math and science is so-so. So he was like, oh, you should be an aeronautical engineer and so on and so forth. So I, I strived to get into the Air Force Academy. So for a long time of my schooling, I got really strong grades, even though all of the abuse, I got awards for never missing school because I never wanted to be at home because my father was at home during mm. the day. He left for work at like three in the afternoon kind of thing and worked the evening shift kind of stuff. So I try to time my days to not be when he was home and only had to deal with him on the weekends. So I was indoctrinated into this idea of, oh, you're good at this. 
not necessarily what I was drawn to and what my my spirit ignited when it was around, but I was good at math. So aeronautical engineering, my brother, I wanted, I looked up to him, wanted to be like him. So went for this thing. So when I started, I started out as an aeronautical engineer and a mathematician. And so I didn't really even think of the performing side of things. It was indoctrinated into me that, oh, you can retire at the age of 28. You're going to make a lot of money. You're going to do this and blah, blah, and la, la. And it was never really, hey, this is going to make you happy. Mm. You're going to have a lot of joy in your life. You're just going to be exuding that everywhere you go because it's not going to feel like work. It's going to feel like you're just offering something to the rest of humanity. No one ever said that. No one really says that a lot these days to our younger generation. And so I'm here to flip that script a bit. Oh my gosh. I love that. And you just reminded me, you know, I have even used that as the younger generation, but even people our age and older, you know, they tell me all about when I ask them how they're doing, they tell me all the things they're quote unquote doing. And I'm like, are you happy? And I get crickets. Literally, people do not know how to answer that question. And it's so sad. So I love that you are here doing what you're doing. Uh, Thank you so much. And you as well, Heather. I was reading through some of the things that you offer to folks. And I think that it's just an amazing thing when we finally, we, the greater we of humanity, human beings, we start to realize how dehumanizing the status quo is how dehumanizing a lot of the structures that are out there actually are. And they're not really uplifting the human spirit or being what I call humanity led. Let's lead with our humanity first and foremost. Doesn't mean we have to agree on everything. It doesn't mean that I'm going to be stuck in the stasis of only happiness and joy. It's going to mean that I'm fully rounded with all of my emotions and I'm going to be able to be joyous in the fact that I can feel all those emotions and bring those forward and truly live a life that is purposeful and meaningful for myself. And when I'm doing that, I believe that that spreads out to other people because my offering is for other people. And so then I become of service and I'm giving to others. And if I'm giving to others, all those others are giving back to me. And therefore, not only is my cup half full, it's overflowing. And I'm only serving from the overflow of my cup. At least I'm trying to. Mm, I got chills. Yes, yes, yes. To all of that. Everything you said. I love it. So I know you told me a couple stories that you mentioned in your book. So I would love for you to tell my listeners, what is the name of your book and what can they expect from it? The name of my book is Biggest, Fullest, Brightest, Shifting the Consciousness of Humanity. It's part memoir part workbook. It takes folks on a journey. I share stories of mine as I move through my book and also ask to hear other people's stories. Now, I'm not at a point quite yet. This is one of those ideas that I'm manifesting. I want to get somebody who, so any of you listeners, build apps. Um, I'm trying to create an app with some original, I'm trying to take that performance art side of me and like an audio book, but kind of mesh them together with what I'm doing. I have a couple of artists who have read parts of my book and they've come up with some original music. I'm looking at putting in there this idea of this workbook to have people be able to go through things. And then like a live chat room, kind of like Discord or some of those other chat rooms that are out there that people can interact with one another if they so choose or share their writing and their responses to the prompts I have in the book with each other. Therefore, expanding that community out there because that is what I'm trying to do with my book. I'm trying to shift 
shift the consciousness of humanity towards that humanity-led aspect that I was talking about before. I really want folks, I want us as humanity to see what we can become if we are supported in that aspect. Because we hear so much about productivity and metrics. And by this age, you should have accomplished these things. And this is the definition of success. This is the definition of power. But I think if we take claim those things and take them back, then we're, we're going to expand into something that's so much more than where we're at right now. And a quick analogy that I give to folks is this idea of the ladder of success, right? So if we take a ladder, And if we put in our mind the image of a ladder, the bottom of the ladder, the top of the ladder, you have point A and point B, and you have this line between the two points, and that's all that you have. It's very similar to the binary way of thinking, right, wrong, good, bad, black, white, and it doesn't leave room for all of that expansion that we get to do as a human being when we open ourselves up to really truly looking at the world around us. So if we have this binary idea of success that we start at the bottom rung, I think we start at the top rung. (laughs) I think when we are born, we're born with power. Our bodies create electrical impulses. We're, We're as open and free of a lot of the ideas of humanity that are holding us back or holding us down. And yet we continue to put upon those wee babes, these ideas that know that you can't think outside this this trajectory, you've got to stay within it. And so within my book, I'm helping people be able to look at those things for themselves through their own lived experience. I'm not here to tell you how to live your life. I'm here to help you build a tool that you get to use and that tool's made from your lived experiences to help you then begin to craft the world that you want to live in and that you want others to live in. And I believe that in our, in my heart of hearts, that we as human beings are meant to be humanity led and that we've been forced into this binary thinking and this straight line that we no longer see that we can live outside of that. So if we think about the expansion of the universe, right? The universe is expanding in all directions around us. That ladder of success point A, point B, it's a really tiny, tiny thing in the grand scheme of things. So how do we expand into our biggest, fullest, and brightest? How do we allow ourselves to be more expansive in our living? How do we allow the light that we have to shine into the world more and let it be something that is a beacon for other people to let their light shine as well? Oh my gosh, that is so needed and I love it. And now I want to go get your book. So I might have to do that. (laughs) So I would love to hear a little bit about how you went from performing artist to this author now that is really expanding the consciousness of humanity. Like what was that journey like for you? I believe that all of those things are still part of me. And I think that that's, that's part of that idea of being stuck in that binary that it's like, oh, I have to get off this ladder and now jump onto a different ladder because now that's taking me here. And it's like, no, I am multifaceted. We all are multifaceted. And so as somebody's like, oh my gosh, you're doing a career change at the age of, that's you're so brave and I couldn't just do that. And it's like, well, why couldn't you? Why not? What have you been indoctrinated into or internalized that tells you that you can't do that? 
or that you shouldn't do that or that, oh my gosh, you're giving up all these things. It's like our minds need to be fed just like our stomachs need to be fed. This idea, because I spent time in the classroom as well as an educator for about 15 years. And the time that I was in there, there's also this idea of being a lifelong learner. And so if we're feeding our brain, and I'm not talking just academia, I'm talking opening ourselves up to a walk in nature, opening ourselves up to meeting new people who think differently than us, being able to have that humanity-led aspect first and foremost, even if we disagree on most of the things we're talking about, I'm still not going to use language that dehumanizes the other person. I may not invite them over to dinner to my house anytime soon, but I'm, I don't need to talk poorly about them. I don't need to call them names. I don't need to say particular things that are going to take away that humanity of them, of their lived experience, because I don't want people to do that to me. Are there people out there that are doing things that are actually taking other human life and are grandiose, I say, in that manner? Yes, there are. Will I fight against that? Yes, I will, right? But I don't have to fight against it by demoralizing them and taking away their humanity, right? I'm going to use other tools and things that still leaves them with their humanity, but takes away this idea, hopefully, or, you know, imprisons them so that they can't be hurtful and harmful to other human beings. And so as I look at this aspect, all of this is throughout my life. I look now, the past is my education. So if I'm being a lifelong learner and I'm feeding my brain, my past then doesn't become a source of shame and guilt. I don't try to push it down and get rid of it. I look at it and if I can see the lessons I'm supposed to learn, I apply them to my life now. If I don't know what the lessons are, I don't have the tools quite yet. I haven't experienced things to learn from them. It'll come again. It always does. And that way, if I'm learning from my past, being educated by it, then my curiosity and my creativity is ignited and sparked. And then I'm looking at my future, that what I was talking about, what I want to craft, what I want to create. I'm starting to collaborate with other people, having this deeper connection with them. And I get inspired by that future. The future is my inspiration. And as I stated, this present moment is my creation. I'm creating as the day goes by. Every day I'm creating, even in those moments when I'm practicing soul care and I'm taking care of my soul, it's still being creative. It's creative in the aspect of, well, how do I take care of myself and maintain that as I'm moving forward, as I'm allowing myself to be in these new situations, be vulnerable, experience all my feelings? What does that look like for me in my lived experience? And so these are the things, past is my education, future is my inspiration, present moment is my creation, knowing that I'm a lifelong learner. This is how I've been living my life to get me to the point where I'm at now to offer to others this idea of crafting your equity lens, being able to craft your own personal equity lens so that you too can start to look at yourself and through your own personal lived experience, realize that, yeah, you can be more fully realized than where you're at right now, than what society is telling you or what you're telling yourself because of somebody else's way of thinking about you. So I ask myself the question, how much of my thinking is my thinking? Mm. If I really look at it, if I'm how I'm responding right now to somebody else, is that truly how I want to do that? Or does it come from this place of, oh, 
I'm not worthy. And that's why I'm responding the way I am. Cause I've taken that in that society has told me as a gay black man, that I'm not worthy, that I'm not supposed to have these things, that I can't have all these ideas that are going on, be this creative, be this connected to as many people, right? Society tells me that I should be incarcerated already or have, you know, past of the HIV AIDS epidemic or all these other things should have occurred to me by the status quo, but that's not me. I'm me. I get to define me. And so asking myself how much of my thinking is my thinking really set me on this trajectory to be able to ask other people to ask that of themselves as they're crafting their equity lens. Oh, I love everything you just said. And I agree about being a lifelong learner. I think that the moment we stop learning, we stop growing and we stop evolving. And it's just so important. And along those lines, you also mentioned about people who maybe don't see things in the same vein that you do. And being able to be an adult and have conversations and you don't necessarily have to agree with everything that everyone says, but you don't have to resort to name calling and all of these degrading behaviors that we as a society have, I don't know, almost accepted in some ways. And it's just, it's so sad to see what this world has become, knowing that we're supposed to be different. Like that's what makes things exciting. If we all were the same and thought the same and the same things like that would be so boring yes and think about if you think about that from the example of a political perspective right if you have well we do have we have a binary right you have the red and the blue (laughs) the republican or the democrat and you have criteria that you're supposed to be underneath that you're supposed to live a particular way, visit particular places, think about, you know, be loyal to your party and do these kinds of things. Well, there are 360 million plus people in the United States, right? And how many of those are of a voting age? And so when I think about that, there's only two ideas that we get to choose from. I lived um, in the Netherlands for about three years. They have eight major political parties six of them sit on their democratic parliament. And so that really put in my mind, oh, if we have this topic, this subject, you know, and we put it in the middle of the room, right? School lunches, where we're getting them from, what exactly is in that lunch, et cetera, et cetera. We put that in the middle of the room. If we only have two people, two ideas, Republican, Democrat sitting at the table, and we've gotten to this mindset that there's no wiggle room It's either exactly my way or I'm not doing it. And both sides have been saying that. But if we have like six different parties representing even that many more ideas and lived experiences in our country, and they're all pulling at that idea, stretching it so that it fits and covers as many different ideas and diverse peoples in our nation as we have, then we're covering more and more ideas that are out there. We're loving and embracing and leading with our humanity that much more in the world. And yet we keep getting stuck in this binary. And so it's not even, it's not even being sad about that. It's going, oh, I recognize it. I see it. There's my education. There's the past. Now, what can I create? So I can be inspired by the future. And so my idea is, yeah, how do I inspire 
more political parties? What does it look like? Right. And I may not see the fruit of my labor in this lifetime. I do things for seven generations from now. And I get that from a lot of the indigenous peoples that I've visited with and that I've seen and listened to their stories as they've listened to mine. And that's the idea is that we are not doing things so that I I'm doing things for seven generations. And then there are seven generations ago that have done things for me now. And all of that has kind of got disrupted. So I'm not co-opting and stealing cultural appropriation here, but I'm looking at these aspects and going, wow, yes, this is how we as humanity goes, can support each other's humanity as we move forward. And when we talk about diversity, it's not just diversity of ethnicity and religion and gender or any of those things. It's diversity of lived experience. That's what I'd like to get to. We're focusing on those things and there's been laws created around those things, which are dehumanizing. And we need to look at those, right? And yet I'm not going to get stuck just there. I want to build the new. I don't want to sit and argue and fight all the time. I want to connect, collaborate, create, and build the new. That's who I want. I want to inspire. And I want to inspire that, yes, you can. Because a lot of folks, when I've been working with them, they get to a particular point and they freak out because they're like, wait, I can, I can do this. I can dream of something from the second to the third day of my workshop. It's a three-day workshop of crafting your equity lens, I ask them overnight to build something that they see for themselves that has true belonging in it. It can be anything. It can be a new system of some kind. It can be you want to look at education. Maybe you want to build a whole new world or a town kind of thing. And what are some of the structures, things that you would have in place so that people had a strong sense of belonging and people freak out. They're like, I wasn't Sure. And I can see it very clearly that there's this, there's something that they need to step through, that they need to step into this fear that, you know, I've been told for so long how I'm supposed to think, what I can and cannot do. There's only two answers to things. What do you mean be more creative and create systems that are outside that? That just doesn't make sense to me. And so how do we nurture that? and help folks heal so that we truly can build something new. Yes. I could just listen to you talk all day. Uh, so I agree so much with about the politics and I didn't know about the Netherlands and now I want to move there. But, you know, it's just something that I struggle with, right? It's like, it's this or that. And yeah, there's a few other parties here and there, but everybody knows nothing's ever going to really come of those. And I struggle with in any decision in my life, pick A or B, one or two, you know? And so I love what you're doing because I think getting people to expand their thoughts and their creativity to just see the possibilities is so important in this world. Absolutely. So you mentioned a couple of times something called an equity lens. So I would love for you to explain what that is. Ah, thank you so much, Heather. So when asking myself that question, how much of my thinking is my thinking? I was like... And going to all the therapy that I have uh, because of some of those things that I talked about in my growing up and my lived experience in my story. So as I'm looking at this, it's like I need something. Call it a toolbox or call it a toy box. You know, it depends on the day. Some days I want to play and just have fun. So it's a toy that I'm picking up. And other days it's a tool that I'm picking up because I 
need to really get in there and work a little bit. And soon that that'll expand into a third and a fourth, you know, container that's holding something that I can help me expand into. But what I'm offering people is that if I am going to look at myself and look at the world, I need to, you know, this idea, the phrase of you look at things through rose colored glasses or, you know, some of those other analogies that are out there that have to do with vision. And it was like, okay, so let me think about that. Oh, I want to see things more clearly. I want to see things that are clear to my authenticity. Who really, truly that whole, that infamous question of who am I, right? And so when I start to look at that and go, oh, how much of my thinking is my thinking? Oh, I've been told this, or this story was left out of my education. Or even if I look at a Mercator map, and the sizing is so different. And what's in the center of the map? The United States and North America. How small is South America in relation to Greenland when actually South America is nine times larger than Greenland on that map? It is not. So what are we feeding our children at an early age about how they should envision themselves and the world around them? So I start to debunk a little bit of that, right? It's three days. The first day is introspection. The second day is a deep connection through self-reflection. The third day is actually crafting the equity lens and accountability. So even prior to the those three days of coming together, I send a self-paced modules that has language in it, articles in it, et cetera, et cetera, that is similar to my book in the sense that it's based off of, you know, my ideas of race and ethnicity, the ways in which I'm viewing myself and in the world, which we all can do and take for ourselves. And I'm inviting people to do that for themselves. So you don't come in and I say, okay, this is what your equity lens needs to be. You need to think and respond this way in this situation, do these kinds of things. There is no blanket script like that. There is not. That is snake oil in my judgment. When we're asked to truthfully put our authenticity into the situation, not a knee-jerk response because of the way that the status quo or the dominant culture has told me to think, but when I give myself a deep breath, reclaim that time for myself, right? Because a lot of people are like, I don't have time three days in a row, three hours each day. That's a lot of time. And I'm like, how long did you work yesterday at your job? Oh, you 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 stayed two hours extra, three hours extra. So you stayed 10, 11 hours and I'm asking for nine over three days. Hmm. So reclaim that time for yourself, right? And really take that deep breath and go, how much of my thinking is my thinking? I'm responding in a way that is out of anger or fear or frustration or unknowing. I've never really looked at this aspect of myself and my growing up. And it's it always comes up and then I sabotage myself and I can't move forward and I freeze up. So it's like working through these ideas in a collective as a group hearing other people's stories, knowing that you're not alone, sensing that, feeling that, going through these things helps with that humanity, helps with that community, helps with building belonging and have a, a deeper understanding of what belonging means to you. So that at that third day, you're crafting a lens that is based off of your lived experience and knowing that it's not, it's not the one and done. 
that's not going to be your only lens. It's going to grow and change as you're being this lifelong learner, as you meet new people, have new experiences, change your knowledge into wisdom as you've gone through it more and more and are fully living that authentic life. Once you start living that authentic life, there's more things for you to take in because now you're taking this new learning and things that you thought that you learned, you learned them through a lens that was the status quo or that this is the definition of success or power. And now you have this brand new lens. So you're looking at all these things anew again. And that is such a, a hopeful and encouraging and expansive way of thinking that all it can do is help you to live your biggest, fullest and brightest life. So on that journey through those three days, crafting your equity lens, boom, there we go. And I'm on my 22nd equity lens right now. So if you if you want, I can share that with you. If you'd yeah, like to. I would love to hear that. Right on. Okay. Like I said, this is my 22nd one. They all start the same. It's kind of, I have people finish this. I am crafting a world statement on the third day. But what some people have taken, they've even reclaimed that first part and they've changed it a bit. But my current one, 22nd, I am crafting a world in which my effortless authenticity connects with yours. And through that deep, magical, humanity-led connection, our curiosity is ignited. Throughout our connection, we are building, living, loving for the benefit, empowerment, and growth of seven generations from now. May our authenticity be our greatest source of our power. Mm, that's so good. So I read that this morning when I first woke up. I read it before we got started today. Um, I'll read it a couple more times before I answer some emails or step into other meetings. And it's just a way for me to really help my authentic self be present, right? Because we get indoctrinated throughout the day. Signs at a bus stop, conversations with loved ones, conversations with the boss or whomever or whatever, you know, that influences us to go back into that status quo dominant culture way of seeing ourselves and everybody else around us. What do you mean you're not how, how dare you not stand up for me? You know, we're loyal to each other. We're friends. And it's like, ah, I'm not going to lie for you. I'm going to live my life in integrity with my authenticity. And that tells me what you're saying or how you're doing is dehumanizing somebody else. And I'm not going to do that. I don't subscribe to that ideology. We're going to have to find another way to have this conversation. Oh, but you've been my friend for like, 20, 30 years, how can you? And it's like, how can I, what, be truthful to who I am? I still love you dearly. So let's take a couple breaths together. And oh, I'm not going to do that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. All right. Let's take a couple breaths. Let's, I mean, there's a multitude of ways that that story can go. Right. But I'm finding these are kind of some of the things that people come back to me once they've crafted their equity lens that they start realizing in the world around them. Once that authentic self is coming forward, it's not all just sunshine and roses. There's still a bit of work with a capital W that occurs as it comes through. And hopefully it's with love and being humanity led and inviting others to do a similar thing for themselves. Mm, yes. And I love the word authentic. It's something I started using a few years ago because I was like, that's actually who I want to be. I, I want to stop pretending to be 
someone I'm not or to be who people want me to be or expect me to be. And so I love what you said about effortless authenticity, because I just, that is like absolutely 100% my goal for sure. So when you hear effortless authenticity, what do you think of? I think of being who you are and not having to work for it. It just comes naturally and it just like flows out of you. And it's just, I got chills as I was saying, it's just almost like magic. Like it just, you're magnetic and Mm -hmm. you don't have to try. It's just who you are at a soul level. And so when with that definition right there, Heather, can you begin to see the moments that it's like, oh yeah, that's not the authentic me. I'm putting something up to make somebody else comfortable or to make me a little more comfortable in the room or to make myself smaller or to not be seen or to not step on someone's toes, all that stuff, right? When our authenticity has to be dampened, it's what Brene Brown says, the difference between fitting in and belonging. You know, fitting in is we leave aspects of ourselves at the door, because if we bring them in, it's going to cause some discomfort or disorder or something for somebody else. And so that idea that you just said, that effortless part, isn't necessarily that, oh, I just want life to be easy. No, I want my authentic self to just easily be in the room, Mm -hmm. right? And I'm just living that. And if it makes somebody else uncomfortable or whatever, that's not my work. That's their work. And I'm going to invite them to do their work. Yeah. Yeah. So I would love to know, how do you think we can build this unconditional belonging for ourselves and others? (sighs) I believe... It's a great question. I believe, as I was saying before, because I myself always wanted it, you know, and was always working at it and in my classroom would work at it. And then once I started offering the workshop of crafting your equity lens and I started seeing people freeze up and not know how to build something new, it was like, oh, well, let me take a couple steps to the side here and rest <laughs> and like, look at this situation, right? Because never backwards. I already know what's back there. I'm I'm being educated by it, right? So I'm going to step off to the side and I'm going to look and I'm going to go, okay. So there's some fear because they've been taught, folks have been taught and ingested this idea that not only am I not worthy of it, that I'm not creative enough, that I don't know how to do those things. I don't even know what that means. So there's there's this litany of voices that start to creep forward that are different for all the individuals. So being able to sit in community, whatever it might be, maybe I work at a law firm, maybe I'm in higher ed, maybe I'm on the school board, or maybe I'm doing these things. How do we take that time, once again, claiming time back, sit in community with each other. And one of the things that the indigenous peoples here, the Kana'aka peoples of Hawaii, they call it talk story. So it's you, you know that if you're going to go somewhere to the grocery store or something like that, and you run into auntie or uncle, the respectful thing is to sit and listen to their story. So if we're in this community, it's important for us to listen to each other's story and to be able to hear what's being shared. And so for me, that story is the equity lens. 
So if I work with an organization, a lot of those organizations now, I'd say 99% of them start their meetings by reading their equity lens. And if they've changed their equity lens, they express how they've changed it and why they felt that the need for the change was. And right there, you're building trust, you're building community, you're listening, actively listening to one another. And that is the foundation of building that unconditional belonging. Because a lot of the belonging sometimes has conditions on it, especially in school. It's like, I have this classroom, my students feel safe, et cetera, et cetera. You're late. Why were you late? Oh, so you you need to come in at recess and make up that time or you d- disrupted class and blah, that, that's a condition, y'all. You're putting a condition on this beautiful classroom that you set up. So if we come at it from this idea of, You notice that the person is late. You give them a little bit of a nod. You set everybody off to working. You ask them to come over and you say, so what happened? Oh, okay. All right. So you missed this and this. Have your partners in your circle give you that information. Or can you come in at lunch? I can catch you up at that time, right? So what did I do? I listened first. I heard the truth of their situation, of their story. And then I didn't punish them. I gave them the things that they missed because I shouldn't be hiding and hoarding their education from them. And then how does that scenario happen here at home with the rest of the family? How does that scenario happen maybe in a community center or a religious place that I belong? Or how does this happen over here when I'm at the grocery store kind of thing and I bump into someone or they there's a little fender bender out in the parking lot? All these different scenarios, it's like we can pull that humanity out first and lead with the humanity. And that's how we're going to build that unconditional belonging. Mm. Yes. And I think listening is a lost art. And uh, so I love everything that you've said because, you know, and I've learned this so much in the last year, year and a half with being a coach and doing this podcast, how much my life has changed by just listening to people Mm. and asking questions about what does that mean to them? And why do they have those thoughts? Because it allows me to release any judgments I have about maybe why I think the way I do. And it, you know, going back to being able to just have an open mind and not have to agree with everyone all the time, you know, so I love the whole listening aspect of it. And just, I can already tell you were an amazing teacher, despite the way you have your examples. It's so amazing. I literally think I could talk to you all day, but I would love for you to tell my listeners, where is the best place that they can find you? Uh, Heather, thank you so much. The best place is my website, mrrconsulting.org. And so on there, you'll find access to my book in the store. You'll find testimonials. There's some free PDFs to get to get you started on things. Within my store, I have Let the Healing Begin, which is a self-paced module course that'll take people through some of the steps to, if you're like, hmm, that equity lens seems like a real big jump for me right now. The self-paced modules will help the Let the Healing Begin will help you to like start to get some of that those wheels greased up to start thinking in a way of like, no, wait, I am worthy of having my own equity lens. I can craft my own. And I also have, you know, every quarter I do an open group. So it's not just for organizations and so on and so forth that anybody can do this. 
uh, craft their equity lens. And so you'll find that in there as well, along with just, you know, people who've talked about the ways that this equity lens has affected them and what they're doing in life. And I've got a Patreon page that brings people together as well. And hopefully I will be putting this podcast in there as well at some point, or at least a link to it. Amazing. And I will make sure I link that in the show notes for my listeners. Before I let you go, I like to ask my guests five rapid fire questions so my listeners can get to know you a little bit better. (laughs) You don't have to answer quickly. Just answer the first thing that comes to your mind. Okay. What is something that makes you laugh? I'm a total little kid. Fart jokes. (laughs) (laughs) I was, I just had a guest on recently and we were talking about the thyroid and like gut health and all of that, but we were talking about how much knowledge you can get from your poop. And I was like, I'm kind of like a 12 year old boy here. Like I'm just. Because every time you say poop, I'm like, you know, I love it. My, my, my nieces and nephews, I have great nieces and nephews. My nieces and nephews still, they're like in their early 20s, late teens, early 20s. They'll still send me the occasional fart joke because that was the big thing when they were little. And, you know, <laughs> tell your mom and your dad this joke. You know what I mean? It was that uncle. So, yeah. Oh, I love it. <laughs> they're lucky to have you. <laughs> All right. What is the first thing that comes to your mind when you hear the word play? Food. Mm. Yeah, I like to play with my food, but not like <laughs> build little castles out of the mashed potatoes or anything. But I like to play with like infusion, especially here in Hawaii. There's so many like cultures, Japanese, Chinese, Portuguese, Filipino, you know, local Kanaka foods that are, get all mixed together. So when you say play, it's like, oh, I like to play with food and like put different combinations of things together and see what new flavors can come out of that. Oh, I love that. If there was an extra hour in each day, what would you spend it doing? Talking with people that I haven't talked to in a while. That's a good one. Well, this one, I don't know if this applies too much because you've had a few different careers, but if you had chosen a different career path, what would it have been? Or if you could do, if you could be anything other than where you are right now, maybe, I don't know, however you want to answer that. Okay. So being from Minnesota, (laughs) I'm a big Prince fan. And so because of his, his particular faith, a lot of people don't know the philanthropic side of him. So he gave millions of dollars to folks that were in need. And he, and because of his faith, his name was never put in the forefront. And so when he passed and like a tribute to Prince had expressed this and was like, yeah, um, Lauren Hill came into a run-in and Prince called him and was like, who's taking care of her kids? How are they being, you know, cared for, et cetera, et cetera. Here's monies to, so he was always on that bead and being able to do that. So I would love to be able to move into the philanthropic world. And what I see is I see this idea of having like secret shoppers. So I'd have people that of course I rotate. So it's not the same folks all the time, but I'd like for them to go out into the world and see who's really doing humanity led work be it in in the environmental sector, the corporate sector, the education sector, wherever it is. And then we would come back together and discuss, then just send folks monies and say, we see what you've done. We believe what you're doing is is humanity-led. This is our reasons why. And we just ask that this money go towards continuing that work of being humanity-led. 
and thank you for it. Instead of having like people write grants or whatever to get money from us. No, 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 no. We just, I want to have secret shoppers that are out there just give people money like randomly and maybe even not even put our names on it as to where the money came from kind of thing. Mm. I don't know. I got chills when you said that. I love that idea so much. I think you should you should figure it out. <laughs> I'm trying. <laughs> All right. Last question. Knowing what you know now, what advice would you give your younger self? Yeah, no one's asked me that one in like a really, really long time. I think that the the, the skills that I've acquired the people that I've met, I think it was all supposed to happen the way that it has. You know, one of the things how I either sign things or sign off verbally is I like to tell people that you are love and you are loved. And so I think I would share that with my younger self mm-hmm. that you are love and you are loved. Yeah, that's beautiful. And I, I think you're right. I think for all of us, the experiences that we had when we were younger, we needed to have to be who we are today and learn from those things. Like you were saying before, education, right? Our past is education. So absolutely. Matthew, I have loved, 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 loved this conversation. Mm -hmm. I can't say it enough. So I'm so excited for my listeners to meet you and thank you for being the best part of my day. Thank you, Heather, for having me here. This has been joyous. I'm just, I feel open and authentic. Thank you for letting me be in my authentic flow. This has just been great. I really loved the conversation about how we are raised in such a binary society, right, wrong, black, white, good, bad. But the truth of it is that there are so many other options out there. And when we see each other in our humanness, Instead of only looking at which side of the dividing line people fall, we can have compassion and understanding for why they are the way they are, just the same way that we would hope others would view us. It's just something to keep in mind as we head into the holidays, where we'll probably be spending time with people who may not always see the world in the same way that we do. Remember that you don't always have to agree with someone to give them the respect of being heard and understood. Links to connect with Matthew and to buy his book are all listed in the show notes, so make sure you check that out if you're interested. As always, I appreciate you being here. If you loved this episode, it would mean the world to me for you to subscribe or follow my podcast on whatever platform you choose. Apple Podcasts gets favored the most heavily, so if you don't have a preference, I invite you to subscribe there. And while you're there, I'd love it if you would give my podcast a five-star review. I appreciate you so much. Thank you so much for listening. Have a magical day. This podcast episode is brought to you by Prompts to Purpose, my free workbook that will help you stop spinning your wheels and start remembering your gifts. Inside, you'll find 25 journal prompts to get you thinking about things in a new way so that you can find your purpose and start living the life of your dreams. If you're ready to dive in, get on my email list by clicking on the link in the show notes or in my Instagram bio, and I'll send it over. Come on in and see what everyone is talking about. Thank you.